If you have your Bibles, uh, let's go ahead. We're going to open up to three different places. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would love to borrow one or keep one today, just raise your hand and uh, Cameron will run one uh, to you. Um, but we're going we're to be in three places. We're going to start in Luke 15. Uh, then we're going to drive right by 1 John 1.9. Uh, then we're going to come back to we're going to go to Romans 10, and then we're going to come back to 1 John uh, 1 9. And so, uh, if you want to just put like four fingers in your Bible and just hold it, I'm sure it'll be comfortable uh, for the next hour and a half. And so, uh, but we've been we've been spending some time, uh, really, we've been spending an intentional amount of time uh, in this series of forgiveness, uh, looking at uh, God's forgiveness to us. Uh, what we have received in His forgiveness as our foundation, really uh, in our motivation to be people who forgive others. Uh, and and I've, it's, it's a really weird relationship I get to share with some of your complaints. Uh, because I, I love it when you, when you email or you text or you just throw eggs in my house and you say, hey, I don't like what you're saying uh, because it's causing me to have to deal with some stuff in my life. Uh, and so, so there's that aspect of me that's like, oh, I'm sorry you don't like it, but then I'm like, well, sorry about you kind of stuff. Um, and so, but we've been, we've been, we, we get to verses in the Bible. Uh, in fact, let's just, let's just go ahead and jump there, Alan. Uh, we, there's two places that we kind of are basing uh, this series on, and it's Ephesians 4, uh, and it's Colossians 3. And Ephesians 4 is telling us to be kind to one another, to be tender-hearted. And then it says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then secondly, in Colossians 3, bear with one another. Uh, and if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you, and what's the word there? Must forgive. And so what we've been trying to deal with is this, this moment in our lives where we say, I know what God says to do, but I just don't want to do that. Uh, because that doesn't, that doesn't line up in my, in my uh, definition of fairness. Uh, that doesn't seem to deal with the wounds that I've received. So what do I do in my life when I come across these moments of what God is telling me to do, and yet I don't want to do them? What do we do about that? And in short, the answer is, anytime, we say this all the time here, that anytime in our lives when the Word of God differs from our life, the fault's not on the Word, it's on our hearts. And, and so we've been trying to understand that when we worship God through the Word, we see a different expectation when it comes to how we carry forgiveness. And God tells us to base all of our forgiveness opportunities on how we have experienced His forgiveness, how uh, we have experienced in the death and the resurrection of Jesus' forgiveness. And, and so we arrive to these verses and, uh, and we struggle with, okay, God, what do you do? And, and He says, I want you to always come back to this moment when you were hopeless and you were without any options for rescue. And I want you to realize what I have done for you by sending Jesus. And so we've said there's, there's almost a, a mathematical equation that, that our willingness to forgive other people is almost proportionally based on the, the forgiveness that we've experienced in God. And now if it's not, then, then we don't understand our salvation at all. 
and so the more we understand how much God has forgiven us in Jesus, the more motivated, I believe, we are to offer forgiveness to, to other people. And, and now in the next few weeks, we've started with our, what God has done for us as a foundation so that we have solid ground to walk on. And in the next few weeks, if you thought these weeks were hard, uh, just wait. We're going to walk right into your anger. Uh, we're going to walk right into your wound. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to come back for that business. Um, but in the next few weeks, we're going to start taking some practical steps in, in how we forgive and how we forgive others, how we forgive ourselves. Um, but, but first today, what I want to do is I want us to walk through really our responsibility when it comes to walking in uh, the forgiveness that God offers us. Not just initially in, at our point of salvation, but when we bring sin into our lives, if we are indeed uh, found in Christ. And, and so, so you might be asking, because I've been uh, very diligently trying to help you understand that God's heart is for you. That God loves you. That, that His first and foremost desire is the glory of His name. Uh, and in Him displaying that glory, we find that out of His great love, He rescues us in Jesus. And so, so I've been, for the last couple of weeks, I've been helping you understand that, that in Jesus we have a Son that is offered, but we also have a song that is sung over us. Uh, that, that last week we walked in, we're going we're gonna to be here in just a moment in uh, Luke 15, uh, we're going to be reminded that, that, that there is um, a response of the Father when you come back home. And it, maybe it's different than the response of a father that you've experienced in your own life. That he comes in and he loves you. He has compassion for you. And so now, I've, as I've been trying to paint this, this picture, uh, uh, an accurate picture of God's response to us, now I want to talk about our response to that. Like, how do we, how do we walk in that? And so this morning, we're going to talk about that the role that confession plays in our relationship with God. And you're like, oh, great. We're going to have confession. Um, and hopefully so. Prayerfully so. Let's, let's pray. Father, we come to you. And we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that you care about us. We thank you that your love runs deep for us. And I pray as we open up these three places in your word today that we would be very aware of your Holy Spirit's leadings that we would not walk in, uh, in confusion or deceit. So, Father, we, we lay these requests at your feet knowing you're the only one that can open the eyes of our hearts. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so, so as we talk about confession, here's what I want us to do. I want us to think of, so we don't get confused, uh, that, that, that we're going to spend a bulk of our time thinking through this in two lanes on one highway. Okay? So you have a left-hand lane and a right-hand lane. We're going to spend less time in the left-hand lane, uh, more time in the right-hand lane, but both of them are equally important. And so, so we're going to start, though, in Luke 15 uh, at this scene. Remember, uh, Alan, you can go ahead and bring it up. Uh, we were talking about the prodigal son. Okay? If you don't know the story, it's, a, it's about a son okay, who his dad's not dying fast enough, and he says, hey, I would like my inheritance early. He takes his inheritance, and he hears the call of a distant land. He goes there. He spends his money in wild living, uh, and eventually that money runs out. As that money runs out, at the same time, famine hits the land. 
Uh, and so the guys he was, that was mooching off of him for a while, uh, he tried to mooch off them. And they're like, hey, we're all broke. Uh, and so he takes a job uh, feeding pigs. He's feeding pigs one day, and he looks at what they're eating, and he says, there are people in my dad's home who are eating much better than this. And so it says, he came to himself. He realized this is his rock-bottom moment. He comes to himself, and he makes a decision to return home. And so as he is on his way, this is where we pick it up in verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here in hunger? I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I will say to him, This is what I want us to see today. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. Okay? And now, this is the response. We spent a good amount of time last week talking about this so we don't have to rehash it. But, but as he arose, he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And then what follows is, is this father's, uh, he tries to give the speech and he's talking to him. And, and dad almost has no response to him other than saying, hey, everybody, let's restore him. Let's give him the robe. Let's give him the ring. Let's kill the calf. Let's throw a party. Let's celebrate because my son who was lost is now found. My son who was dead is now alive. And so, so what I want us to do is let's, let's listen, let's walk through the shoes of the son for a moment. And out of this, this spirit of, of futility and hopelessness and, uh, and humility, he makes this decision to return to the father. And you, you know this, his father, father, um, father, uh, it's, that's the cool way to say it, but nobody's cool enough for that here. Um, and so, so he, he comes to his father and, and he rehearses what he would say. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And upon falling into his father's arms, he confesses just that. And he confesses his sin to his father. And, it, and I think it's important to note, and I think this is why Jesus tells the parable in this order, okay? Uh, that that the prodigal could confess that before the prodigal could confess his failure to his father, his father saw him, and his father moves towards him, and his father embraces him and kisses him. It begins to celebrate over him. That that the son's acceptance and the forgiveness that he experiences wasn't conditional on the confession. That, that we don't see Dad running right up to him and then crossing his arms saying, you got something to say? Which, by the way, is a parenting technique, right? When you're trying to manipulate your children. You got something you want to say. Sometimes I just say that, not even upset with my kids, just to see what they'll say. Like, you got something you want to tell me? And then you're like, oh God, please don't let it be bad. Okay, and I was like, yeah, I robbed a 7-Eleven today. Um, so, but he doesn't. We don't see the father doing that. His father was not motivated to forgive on the son's confession. He just loves his son. He was so excited his son came home that, that he fell into the arms of his father whose forgiveness was constant in the moment 
he walked away. And so, so we come to these moments and we say, okay, so then why does the Bible teach that we are to confess our sins if we're already forgiven? What do we do about that? What's the role of confession? And if we're already forgiven, it, it could seem to be unnecessary. And what I want us to see this morning is the, the place of confession in God's process of, of our forgiveness. And so, so for that, we go to this word confess. Okay? In the Greek, we borrow this word. It's called homologio. Uh, and I said it as perfectly as it can ever be said. Um, which, which basically, if you're following along in your talk notes, um, Swine, can you stop interrupting Alan? We have a job to do. Uh, so the word confess simply means this, uh, to agree with. To agree with. So, so, so when we confess our sins to our Heavenly Father, or even, uh, you, for this matter, you could say when we confess an offense we have against one another, when we confess, what we are saying is that we are agreeing with Him. So, so there's two implications I want us to walk through when we talk about what we are agreeing with. That number one, we agree with God about our sin. When we confess, we agree with God about our sin. We are agreeing uh, with His attitude about sin. That this, this is sin, that it's against Him, and before it's a damage to us, it's a dishonor to Him and Him alone. And so, so we are agreeing that sin is destructive to His purpose for our lives. And it carries with it consequences that will prove to be painful. And then, then number two, by implication, what we're saying is that we assume the responsibility for our sin. For it. We assume the responsibility for it. We don't, we aren't blaming other people for our actions, which is easy to do, right? Like, hey, I made a really stupid decision, but it's their fault. And what we're talking about here in confession is that we're owning up to it. Uh, because ultimately, we are the ones who chose lesser gods before the one true God. We've chosen that. This is part of the prepared speech of the Son returning home. Father, I have sinned, and because of my actions, I'm no longer worthy to be called your Son. I wouldn't take me back if I were you. That's what he says. I wouldn't take me back if I were you. And so confession means that, that we see ourselves in relationship to our deeds of sin just like God does. And, and so, so when we talk about confession, undoubtedly, there are quite a few verses, but undoubtedly the, the most famous of them uh, is found in 1 John uh, 1.9. Okay? So, so we're going to be, I'm just pre-warning, when we're done with forgiveness, we're going into the, the letter of 1 John. But he says this, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and He's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, so when you take this verse at face value, uh, it would seem to indicate that our forgiveness is conditional upon our confession, right? That's what it, that's what it appeared to say. And, and now the issue is this raises a ton of questions. Uh, for instance, you know, what if I forget to confess a sin? What if in my pursuit confess all these really big sins, I forget the little sin? Or, uh, what if I don't realize that I have committed a sin? What if it was a sin of omission? Uh, and, uh, and on we could go and go. But, and all of a sudden, what happens is we could lose sight of what Christ has done on the cross and the security we have in the Holy Spirit. And we begin 
focusing on our attention to our memory and our sensitivity to to our sin. And so if eternal life were dependent upon our ability to remember all of our sins, we would be correct in needing to bite our fingernails all the time. All the time. Because we would never know if it's good between us and God. Which, by the way, doesn't... That's not how God is portrayed in the Bible. And so we need to do something about that. And I think there's this concept that we can harmonize um, this verse that we find in Ephesians 1. You have to turn there because I think we have it for the screen. Uh, Ephesians 1, chapter 7, it says, it's talking about Jesus. It says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of God's grace. Okay, so, so according to John 1, 9, we would expect this verse to read uh, that we would have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the confessions of our sins. But that's not it. So the question is, which is it, right? Uh, are, are our sins forgiven based on God's grace and the death of Christ? Or are our sins forgiven based on the up-to-minute confessions of our lives? I don't know about you, but I would be spending a lot of time saying my bad, right? <laughs> And so we're, we're going to get back to John 1, 9 in a moment, but, but as we talk about confession, I don't want us to con- be confused, so let's, let's talk about traveling down the same highway, but it's two lanes, okay? So you have a left-hand lane and a right-hand lane, and the first lane uh, is the one we're going to spend a short amount of time on, but it's an important one. Uh, it's the passing lane, all right? You move much faster in the passing lane. This is a lesson for a lot of you people who don't know how to drive on the road. Left-hand lane... For passing, right-hand lane is for driving slower, all right? Uh, if you don't hear anything I say today, take that with you, okay? And so, so the, first, the left-hand lane uh, is the quicker lane, uh, and we're going to call this it's the confession for salvation. Uh, it's confession for salvation, and it's, it's a one-time confession, and it's a big one, and it's an important one. Uh, that the basis of the gospel is God's movement toward us for the purpose of His glory. That, and so, so the basis of our forgiveness is not confession, repentance, or faith, although all three, don't misunderstand me, all three of those are essential uh, for us to be saved. Uh, but the basis of our forgiveness is the sacrificial, substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. That, that he, His death as the sinless Son of God pays in full the penalty for our sins, past, present, and future. We can't, we can't add anything to that death. Especially to make God want us more. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. We can't gain anything more than the forgiveness we already have. And that's a good, that's a good word for some of us. Because some of us get that and we think we still need to keep doing more and more and more and more so that God will forgive us more and more and more and more. He doesn't, you can't add to that forgiveness because it is paid in full. That forgiveness becomes a reality in the life of every person who has received Christ as Savior. So, so what I mean by that is, is that God woos us into relationship with Him. He calls us. He entices us to come to Him and by seeing His love for us and we get to see how holy, how beautiful Jesus is and then in comparison, we get to see how desperate, we get to see how broken we are. So, so, so there's in this confession we make 
um, but, but it comes almost instinctively when our hearts are coming to Christ. So, so for that we go, we can go to a lot of places, but for this time, we're going to go to Romans chapter 10, where he says this, because Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Now, here's something that's important you need to know about what Jesus says about our mouths. He says, the words that come out of our mouths come first from our hearts. First comes from our hearts. So again, if you want to know why you said some things that you didn't want to say, it's because something's going on here. And so, so this is a one-time confession we're talking about that brings us back from the dead. But it's not a confession that's mustered. And it's not an, an incantation like you were a, casting a spell. Jesus teaches that, that what comes from our mouth comes from the heart. And so, so this confession about Jesus being Lord comes from a heart that sees the beauty of Christ and sees its desperate need for Him to restore what is broken. So theologically, there's this f- fancy line that you call, it's called once saved, always saved. <laughs> that that once, you, once you make this confession... You are saved. You are given the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwells in you as a deposit of things yet to come. And, and so, so, so we are secured by Christ, restored to the family of God. And we could spend months talking about uh, how this is, this is connected to the fruits of our lives, the motivations of our hearts, the, the, the urgencies of our proclamation of the gospel, um, that this confession is connected to a heart that is truly transformed. And this is where some of us were like, well, I went to a fifth quarter my sophomore year and I prayed a prayer, um, but I still don't feel like I know Jesus. Because you can say the words very easily. In fact, we, I remember growing up, uh, when, when, I was being, when I was being saved, I don't know, I'm from Azel, so let's just call it what it is. Uh, but I remember, I remember calling uh, this guy named Larry, uh, and I said, hey man, are you going to church? Because I'd like to get saved. He's like, oh, I'm not going to be there um, on Sunday. I was like, cool, we'll just do it the next Sunday. Uh, and I remember us going up to the altar, right? Uh, I don't know if you were in a church that did altar calls, but sometimes it can be the most uncomfortable moment because you felt bad for the pastor. It's like, please, just somebody come up today. Um, but I remember going up to the front, and, and in his Bible, he uh, he had a card that was the Romans road, and we walked down the Romans, some verses out of Romans that led us. And then on the back, you turned it over, and there was a prayer. And I remember reading the prayer, and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm saved now. Uh, and, but it doesn't, we can say those words. You can repeat words after me. But when we talk about being saved, we're talking about a heart that is truly transformed in seeing the beauty of Christ and our desperate need for Him. And then out of that comes the real adventure of living. So in this sense, we are saved after we see our desperate need for Jesus. And through confession with our mouth, uh, what follows is a faith that develops in our hearts. And we are His forever and ever and ever. And 
And we get to lay claim to these promises that we find in Romans 8. Uh, spend some time this week in Romans 8. Cause it's, it's beautiful, especially toward the end. Because it, it talks about the impossibility of being separated from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That there is nothing in our life that can separate us. Because we're not secured by our own willingness or capability of holding on to Him. That we are secured in His promise to hold us. And so, so the question now is, and you might not be asking this, you might be like, well, I'm ready to get out of here. But the question is, what is John, 1 John 1, 9 meaning then? When he says this, if I am saved, then why does John tell me to confess my sins? And so for that, we travel in the right-hand lane as if we were on a Sunday drive. Uh, we move at a much slower pace. This is part of our sanctification. That's, that's how we grow up in Christ. So at one moment, you go from dead to alive. That happens quick. Like instantaneously quick. It's that if you're, the older I get, the more I'm like, that's just dangerous. That's how quick it is. It's the person, I'm sorry, it's the, it's the person on the motorcycle with the wheelie, just going right past you. Okay? So on the other lane, we find confession but it's for restoration. It's for restoration. And this is what we call, it's as needed. It's as needed. We confess our sins to God as needed. After we are saved, the basis of our continuation in forgiveness is still none other than the shed blood of Jesus. Don't forget that. We don't graduate ever away from what Christ has done at the cross. That His name, that's the name we lift high, that's the story of our lives. And so when we come to this concept of forgiveness, we must be careful not to assume that, that the author is always talking about forgiveness that a believer experiences uh, when he or she finally puts their trust in Christ. That, again, that's one time only kind of miracle. And so, so the person who becomes a child of God begins to relate to God in a new way. As, as Chris said, we, we are new creations. And, and so the new believer has new rights has new access as well, and has new responsibilities. And after we are restored in the family of God, the wayward son, uh, the wayward daughter, uh, a new set of guidelines govern our relationship with him. And so, so one of these guidelines has to do with restoring fellowship with the Father after we as believers sin. And so what we need in a sense, and, and I think we'll talk, you'll see this practically in a minute, is we need familial forgiveness. That was funny. Um, like the laugh track, we need to stop using it, Corbett. That's the worst time to press that button. Uh, so we need, we need familial forgiveness, like, like when a child breaks a rule in the house. right? We, we don't disown them for not picking up their clothes, but we do say, hey, you've caused a problem between us. You're supposed to pick up your clothes. And so, so eternal salvation and forgiveness of the debt of sin, separating us from God, is not the issue here. The, the issue is a matter of family business. And so that's why John, in, in 1 John 1, 9, uh, Alan, uh, 1 John 1, 9, he says this, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins. And so he's talking about the church, because that's who he's writing the letter to, by the way. 1 John is very much a church letter. So if we in the family confess our sins. So he's not talking about unbelievers. The parable of the prodigal son is a perfect illustration for this type of confession. The son's fellowship with the father could not have been restored until he first comes back home. 
And so we're talking about how do you come back home? We're talking about how do you do that? So, so it is with us. Until we turn back to God from our sin, fellowship is broken. There's a wreck in the lane. Okay? And so how do we clear the lane from all the damage that's being done? And so, so notice, God does not withhold fellowship. It's, it's we, as sinners, that bring a damage to the relationship. And so, so let's put it this way, okay? Mark, uh, let's say, I was going to use Mark, but he's, he's with the kids today, so I'm going to use Troy. Uh, let's say Troy and Swine, okay? Let's say Swine has a watch, okay? Uh, and Troy, because he's a dirtbag, steals the watch, okay? <laughs> Troy doesn't think anybody's seen him steal the watch, but I did, um, because I'm always looking, and, and so Troy steals the watch, and, and Chris says, hey, I've lost my watch. And I'm like, oh, funny you say that. Troy took it. Uh, and, and Chris says, okay, well, I can do a number of things. But let's say Chris decides, uh, because he loves Jesus, and Troy's a dirtbag. Uh, in fact, anything you hear today, Troy's a dirtbag. Um, but, but let's say this. Let's say that Chris says, okay, if Troy really did need that watch so badly that he would steal it from me, then he can have it. It's just a watch. It's not, it's not worth going to war over. So let's say that Chris says, okay, even that, you know, he can have the watch, and then he's going to say, yeah, I don't want to spend any more time worried about this offense. So I'm going to do what Bag has been trying to teach us about. I'm going to forgive him. I'm going to cancel the debt in our relationship that he's brought upon now. I didn't earn, I didn't deserve it. He stole from me, but I've chosen to forgive him of that offense. And you're like, gosh, that Chris sounds like a great guy. Yeah, you should be that kind of guy. Um, so in their relationship, Chris has forgiven him. Troy hasn't even brought it up. But now, tell me this: the next time when they're in the room, is there tension? Yeah, there's tension. And whose fault is the attention? Troy's. Why? Everybody? He's a dirtbag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just wait till we teach the kids that. We're like, hey, that's dirtbag Troy. Um, there's tension. Now again, Swine didn't do anything wrong. Right? Swine didn't even yell at him about stealing his watch. Swine's forgiven, forgiven him of the offense. It says... I've canceled it, so I don't really need anything else. Our relationship is fine. But Troy walks in and he's like, oh man. For the rest of my life, until we deal with this, this is a problem. Right? You don't forget those things. You might, you might forget it for a moment, but it will always creep back up. And so what's the option left on the table? Well, Troy can avoid Chris for the rest of his life. But that won't work because you go to church here, right? He can try to, to run from it. But that tension, if he goes to Australia, that tension still remains. Or he can confess his actions to Swan and say, hey, I, I did this. I'm so sorry. And then what would Chris's response be? Okay. I've forgiven you of that. I forgave you before you even confessed it. Now, that's the risk, isn't it? 
Like, oh, I, I, I will. I don't mind. I love the idea of confession as long as I'm guaranteed the forgiveness. Right? Now, relationally, we don't have that. Right? That's why we're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about how we carry that and our expectations that we have with other people when we confess because that's, the, that's always the risk. Right? When I confess, will they forgive? And that's a dangerous game to play. It is. Because then you're required to worry about them and not your own actions. When you screw up relationally, you deserve, they deserve your confession. Now how they choose to forgive, that's, that's between them and God. But in this scenario, that relationship is never restored until Troy says, hey man, I, I have to come clean. And then, what happens? Chris has already forgiven them so they can have, they can clear the lane. The wreck can be moved over. Relationship can be restored. And that, that's what happens. That's what happens when we come to God confessing our sins. The confession doesn't persuade God to forgive us. It doesn't. He, he did that at the cross. That the confession restores to us a previous level of intimacy and fellowship we have with Him from our perspective. That God did not change. He did not turn away from us because of our sins. His love was not effective. He already knows about the sins we've yet to commit, the ones we're committing right now, and the ones we need to own up to right today. He knows those things. And this, this is what happens. And I see this too often. That, that people aren't willing to risk in seeking forgiveness. They the only option that, that leaves them is, is de- it's a devastating one. The only option they leave themselves is a clogged relationship with unresolved offenses between two people. Relationally, sometimes forgiveness is not accepted after forgiveness. And it's hard. It's hard because we, we try to teach our kids it's only fair that when, when you say you're sorry, they have to say it's okay. And try to carry a wound <laughs> and say, well, my dad said you have to forgive me, so... But to not risk, to not seek restoration will always lead you to a broken relationship. Always. Always. So as we talk about God, we return to the promise that we find in, in 1 John 1, nine, That if we confess our sins, okay, if we clog the lane with a wreck, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us, to move the wreck to the side to do away with the wreck, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, we, we can start wrapping this up. So when the believer sins, there's this temptation, okay? And I know this, I know this is about you because I know this is about me, okay? When we sin, there's this temptation to avoid God. Really, there is. Or, or we avoid depending, or, or even other people, depending on the scenario. We're, we're talking about how we relate to God this morning, though. Either, either we try to avoid Him out of guilt or hope that He wasn't aware of our actions. <laughs> you ever do that? Like, there's a mess in the house that you made and you, you're like, what? Who did this? Right? Wasn't me. You're like, no, it has your name on it. So, did you just try to write out your... Yeah. Okay. Um, so... So when we sin, we, we tend to try to avoid 
God, either out of guilt or hope he wasn't aware, and we choose not to deal with the offense, forgetting that the lane will be clogged until we do. And it's, it's a merciful act to a grace-filled God that he says, hey, we can't go any further until we deal with this. Okay? We can't. It's, it's by the mercy of God, he says, no, you need to deal with this so that this, law, this lane can be unclogged again. And so we choose not to deal with the offense, forgetting that it'll stay that way. Some, some even walk away believing that God will not forgive, ignoring this powerfully beautiful promise from God to us. That if we confess, God promises to forgive. So do we believe that or not? So, again, in our lives, when it differs from the Word of God, the fault's us, not the Word. His promise is, if we confess, He promises to forgive. And you say, I don't know. I'm more like dirtbag Troy than, than you think. If we confess, He promises to forgive. And, and that's, that's not to say there aren't consequences to our sin. That, that sometimes God disciplines, uh, but it's not out of punishment, it's rather it's, it's out of correction. That, that He wants to see you holy, not destroyed. Okay? That's a good parenting technique. If you want to parent the way God parents us, that the, the object isn't to destroy your kid, it's to correct your child. That's a different lesson for another day, and I'm already way late. So at times, God allows the consequences of our sins to exact payment. Other times, He prunes and He cuts away parts of us that are unproductive so that we can grow stronger. Now, and this process can be painful. It can be. It can hurt. But the promise we find here is that God, with God, is that there is always forgiveness on the other side of confession because we are agreeing with God about our sinful actions and we submit to His leading in our lives. And so when you sin, what should you do? Well, just a couple things. That the A, you thank God at that moment for bringing your sin to your attention. That you would realize that. That two, you would assume responsibility for it. That you would agree with Him that you have sinned. I know we don't like throwing that word around in church. We're like, ah, it makes people uncomfortable. And we call it what it is. That then thirdly, you thank Him again for His forgiveness purchased at the cross through Jesus. And if the sin is against another person, you make things right when you can, as possibly as you can. And then you go on. This is the hard part, I think, of confession and forgiveness. You go on with perfect confidence that things are right between you and your Creator. And we struggle with that, right? Because sometimes when we offend a person and we ask for, we confess that and, and we, we hear them say, hey, I've forgiven you for that or it's okay, that, that in the back of our mind we're like, is it really okay? And we know it's not really okay because it wouldn't be really okay with us. If that was me, I wouldn't. Which, by the way, you have no control over. And that's why our forgiveness is based, our willingness to forgive is based on God's willingness to forgive us. I love you guys. This, our desire this week is to love God by loving people. Please stand with me.
we wrap up, I want to make a couple things available to you. So, so when we talk about, hey, if you need someone to pray with you today, we, we mean that. And I'm telling you, there's some powerful things going on this weekend through, the, through prayer. Through prayer. Our, our ladies met yesterday, uh, and they gathered together to read the Word. They gathered together to pray this morning. Uh, there's a group of them back here. They were praying. Uh, Mark, he was praying over this space today. And that's why church was good, okay? Not because of our ability to, to lead songs well or to teach uh, ramblings. Uh, today is good because the Holy Spirit is good to us. And so when we say, hey, we would love to give you an opportunity to pray with somebody, we don't say that um, to give you like, hey, if you want to give it a shot. There is power in that. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never prayed that initial prayer for salvation, today should be your day. God is good. He loves you in spite of you. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for caring about us. Thank you for your willingness to to push us in the direction of you at all times. Help us be bold to confess. And help us see your celebration when we return home. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.